Let's stand up. Close your eyes, if you would. Take a few deep breaths, just slow, deep breaths. Just kind of let your body relax. And then I want you to connect with your inner being, your inner self, by just becoming aware that you are more than your body, you are more than your mind, you are more than your emotions. And then just become aware of the divine matrix, the divine intelligence that weaves everything together, that's upholding you and sustaining you right now. And let the energy of God surround you, penetrate you, comfort you, and envelop you. And Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for invisible support that comes to us in so many different ways. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I want everybody to take a deep breath. Um, this will be different this morning because, of course, I want to talk about the coronavirus. Um, now, at the beginning, this goes without saying, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm obviously not a medical professional. I'm not a scientist, um, so you can take this for what it's worth, but I am a researcher, and <clears throat> I'm also an intuitive. Uh, every once in a while, I get an intuitive sense about things um, that happen. For example, probably one of the most notable ones that happened on a large scale. So you guys will remember, Jeanette, you'll remember... Um, any of you that were here back in 08, uh, Hillary Clinton is still leading in the primary or whatever. It was early. I think they just had the Iowa one or something. I can't remember. And I just saw in a vision that Barack Obama would become our next president on the heels of a massive stock market crash at the end of September and the beginning of October. So I took all my money out of the stock market. It's exactly what happened, um, and I and I caught hell for it. I, I released that when I got it, and I caught hell for it because at that time, uh, in the Christian community, the prophetic word was that John McCain was going to win the election and die in office because he was so old, and Sarah Palin was going to become president of the United States and bring revival. And for some reason, we keep going back and listening to the same people who are always wrong. So I don't try to predict things, but I will get a sense about things. And I learned my lesson in 08 to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> Nobody listened anyway. I think I'm the only one that took money out of my 401k. I think everybody else is uh, just charismatic craziness or whatever. So suffice it to say, you know, I just don't go around making predictions. I mean, you guys have been around, right? But when this thing broke out in China, I knew it was going to be bad. And I knew it was going to be a lot worse than people were saying. And I would get frustrated when people would be glib and dismissive. 
Because in, in my spirit, internally, I knew this is going to be really bad. Before it had even spread out of China. I was telling Julie, <laughs> I was telling a couple other people, and I was telling my coworkers, and my coworkers thought I had completely lost my mind. <clears throat> Until, what, Tuesday of this week? Then they were literally calling me the Oracle. <laughs> So, I've been watching this daily for at least, I don't know, at least a month. And I've been looking at research. And it's unfortunate, perhaps, that we're in a political year. Never in my life have I become so aware how there is political spin on both sides. Both sides. And this is not a time for us to be hypnotized or brainwashed or manipulated by either side. And I'll give you some examples of how both sides are doing it, hopefully as we go on. So having said that, it's hard to sort through what is this really about because you have political pundits on both sides trying to spin it one way or the other. Then you have uh, other people on Facebook or blogs or whatever, and perhaps even people like me that don't really know anything (laughs) about the topic who are talking about it and also spreading misinformation. And unfortunately, a vast segment of our society does not know the first thing about how to do effective research and effectively interpret data. So if you don't know how to even read research or interpret data or you're just taking what somebody's saying, you have a giant chance of being deceived and misled into unreality if you don't know the source of your information. So what I'll give you, I'll give you um, off of reputable, from reputable people. Now, if you're a hardcore conspiracy theorist and you think everybody in the world is in this conspiracy to, to do whatever, then I'm probably not going to convince you if I quote somebody. Um, so I'm, I've been looking at the data from the World Health Organization. I've been watching their videos and their press briefings from the CDC. Um, I've talked to doctors and medical professionals. And so I'm going to present to you and offer to you what I have sorted out as far as what this problem is and what it presents. Is that okay? So as of today, last I checked anyway, um, let's see if I can find it. There's, as of yesterday at 11.45 Eastern Time, there was 101 confirmed cases in Colorado, one fatality. As far as I know, only one confirmed case in Pueblo County. U.S. cases are 3,052 with 60 fatalities. 60? But here's the kicker. Only 56 have fully recovered of the 3,052 that have been tested. Now think about how long this has been going on, and across the nation only 56 people have completely recovered from this. Global cases, 162,588, with only 76,219 recovered, and I couldn't for some reason find the fatality rate. Um, So I don't have that, but you can watch the news. Right now, 
You hear, we see this sort of mass hysteria, right? We've got to get this thing under control. And yet the death toll, the the number of people infected and the death toll is relatively small. And so you hear people comparing it to the flu. So here's the first mistake that people make. When you're looking at data for influenza, you're usually talking about influenza type A or B. It's been around forever. (laughs) So the data is very easily accessible. And of course, a disease that has been around for decades or centuries or however long the strains that we have have been around is going to kill more people than a brand new virus that's only been around for a few months. So you can't just say, well, the flu kills... 30,000 people last year, and the coronavirus has only killed, whatever, 56 people. So see, the flu is more deadly than the coronavirus. Can you see the logical fallacy in that? (laughs) So you have to look at the percentage. You have to look at the potential. You have to look, and, and so they, they look at the, at the data. I think a month ago, the World Health Organization, now the fatality rate, for the flu is 0.01%. That means if everybody that gets the flu, only 0.01% of those people are going to die from the flu. The World Health Organization put out their estimates last month at 3.4%. That's a huge difference, which means that if the virus got spread as much as the flu got spread, we're talking massive casualties at that percentage rate. Now stay with me, okay? I just want to help you understand why people are reacting the way that they are reacting. (laughs) Now, Dr. Fauci, who is, what is Fauci? He's the head of the infectious disease. Anyway, I don't know his exact title. But he's one of the advisors that's advising the Trump administration and the government, right? He said the World Health Organization's numbers are very skewed and much too high. Having said that, though, he said that this particular virus is 10 times more deadly than the flu. So if 30,000 Americans died from the flu last year, Multiply that times 10. Are you breathing? <laughs> do, you want, so do, do you understand the seriousness of it? Now, doctors are saying, on the flip side, doctors are saying this isn't a big deal. Anybody heard a doctor say that or read something? This isn't a big deal. It's basically like the common cold. Um, everybody's going to get it, just those with underlying conditions are going to die as though somehow that should make us feel better. So how does that happen? Well, have you also noticed that they've gone from calling it the coronavirus to COVID-19? The lingo has changed. Do you know why? Because coronavirus is a family of viruses that cause the common cold. Just like their influenza is a category of viruses, but there are different types of influenzas, right? 
So you have influenza A, influenza B, that kills, you know, roughly whatever the, the rate was there. But then you also have things like H1N1 or the, the swine flu, right? Which is much more deadly. So an outbreak of influenza A and B that you get your um, vaccinations for every year or whatever versus an outbreak of H1N1, an outbreak of H1N1 is much more serious. So when medical professionals, this is how I've come to understand it from talking to them, medical professionals, when they hear coronavirus, when we hear coronavirus, we think, holy crap, that's a brand new novel thing because we've never heard it before. We make jokes about beer and all kinds of stuff, right? <laughs> but to a trained medical professional, that's common lingo because <clears throat> the family of coronaviruses is what causes mostly what we call the common cold. So from their perspective, it looks like everybody's freaking out about a common cold. And people with underlying lung conditions or that are immunocompromised die of the common cold. So from that professional perspective, it makes sense. Every single one of you has probably had a coronavirus at one time or another in your life. Just like every single one of you has probably had a flu virus at one point in time in your life, but you maybe haven't had H1N1. So COVID-19 <clears throat> is an upper causes of respiratory infection, but it's far more deadly than other coronaviruses that we've seen. Get it? Now, when you're talking about the death rate, it's still a shot in the dark, and here's why. If they're saying the World Health Organization was saying a month ago, 3.5%, 3.4%, whatever it was. Now, you know, our experts are coming out and saying, no, it's, it's about 1%. That number may still go down. <laughs> because here's the problem with interpreting that data. Number one, you don't know how many people are actually infected. So they're not included in the equation, which affects your percentage. That's on the positive side. But on the negative side, <clears throat> the recovery rate takes so long that many of those people that are in recovery still will die. So the number will move and fluctuate. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Now just, so you know, the CDC estimated before we took measures to stop it that 70% of the population um, of the United States would get COVID-19, 70%. By the way, if you're over, I think it's 80 years old, the mortality rate is 15%. 70, it goes lower, lower, lower. By the time you get down to kids, it's very, very low. But if 70% of the population, just going off the strict numbers and data that came out this week, if 70% of the people in America got COVID-19, at the mortality rate that Dr. Fauci is saying, that we can expect based on the data. It's not like there's not no data. 
It's not like there isn't data from China. <laughs> and they say, well, maybe they didn't report all of it. Listen, China is more concerned about their national image and their gross national product. They're far more interested in that, seemingly, than they are human rights. Right? So if anything, they underreported how bad it was. They didn't exaggerate it, number one. And number two, they shut their country down. They shut down factories. They shut down their production. Everything that their government basically cares about to deal with this. Make sense? If we want to say, well, we can't understand the data and the data is wrong, then why is it that Italy is complete, their hospital system is completely overrun? If it's just like the flu, if it's just like the common cold, then how come there's never been a flu outbreak? Because here's the logical fallacies. Why is it so bad in Italy? What's the answer that you get from people that want to be dismissive of it? They say, well, because they don't have as good a health care system as we have here. Okay. Let's compare apples to apples. When was the last time there was an outbreak of influenza in Italy that overran their hospital system? That caused so many deaths in that nation that they're digging mass graves that can be seen from satellites in outer space. This is not a time to be glib or dismissive or just believe your favorite political pundit. This is a very, very serious thing. I'm sure you've heard by now Spain is completely shut down. France is completely shut down. This this isn't just some global conspiracy gang. You get it? Oh, I erased my number. Darn it. Let's see if I can get it back. Anyway, if it spread in the United States like they were predicting last week, the CDC, we'd be looking at over 2,500,000 deaths in our country alone. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. What did I figure, Jackie? had about 550,000 casualties. 350. That's quite a few nuclear bombs or atomic bombs being dropped in the U.S. Am I scaring you yet? <laughs> I promise by the time I'm done, I'll bring some balance to this. But I've heard so many people being glib and don't understand why the nation is overreacting or it's a political thing or whatever. That's, none of that is true. This is a very real danger, and it's hard to face, and it's hard to look at, and it's hard to talk about, and I'm sorry. Now, <clears throat> the good news is that I think probably there have been a lot of people that have been asymptomatic that haven't been tested, So the death rate is actually, the percentage is probably actually much, much lower than that because the only ones being tested, at least initially, were the severe cases that were in the hospital. So you're looking at a percentage of severe cases that potentially that cause mortality rather than a true number. You're hearing that? So it's probably not going to be that bad. I don't think for one second it's going to get or be that 
bad. Not even close. What I am telling you is strictly the potential possibilities that people are looking at who know a whole lot more than you and me when they're making these decisions on shutting things down and stuff like that. Does that make sense? And that it probably is smart to practice everything they're saying as far as social distancing and washing your hands and all that kind of stuff. Okay? I honestly don't think it's going to get that bad. So I'm not being a a doomsdayer. I'm just strictly laying out the potential. But here's the other part that almost nobody's talking about. And that is the impact that this is having or going to have on our economy. And that might be the scariest piece. Let me see what I can find when I looked up here. Give me a second. (laughs) Sorry. I should have put notes together like a real person. (laughs) Yeah, right? Where's the, yeah, Jeremy says, where's the adventure in that? I agree. So, most people don't realize, well, I, I don't know if you realize or not, but Thursday, the, uh, stock market took the worst hit since Black Monday back in October of 1987. By that meaning the biggest percentage drop, the biggest percentage drop that we've seen in a single day since 1987, which is called Black Monday. So they're literally calling it Black Thursday, which means that's a bigger hit than was taken after 9-11. It's bigger than 2008. It's a huge dip in the stock market. Now, what's funny is, now this is where the spinning, the political spinning comes in. So that happened on Thursday. President Trump gave a speech to the nation on Wednesday. So when the stock market crashed the next day, You had pundits on the left blaming Trump and his speech for the reason that the stock market collapsed. It's not really that simple. If it was as simple as, oh, whatever the president says, that's going to affect every investor, then, you know, you could fix a recession by just going on and saying the right things. So... In reality, the U.S. stock markets were reacting to the world stock markets. So people are saying, well, Trump's speech caused the stock market to crash. They're spinning it. Got it? Now, on the flip side of that, when he came out on Friday and said that he was going to declare a state of emergency and make however many billions of dollars available to help... (laughs) with the national crisis, then the stock market did bounce back, and that was because the stimulus package gave confidence to American investors enough that it bounced back. Got it? So I'm giving Trump some credit where I think credit is due. When you look at the overall big picture, he changed his stance on coronavirus about three different times in a week. Do not tell me this was a new crisis or he didn't know what to do or whatever because it's been in China, (laughs) it's been in Japan, it's been in South Korea, it's been in Taiwan. The data is available. (laughs) 
The World Health Organization had already said it was 3.4% mortality rate. It's gone down since then. And the World Health Organization has had an eight-step plan in place for countries in preparation. If they get hit, here's what we recommend that you do. Not to mention that he has access to every big thinker in the world. So don't give me this. This is where they're spinning it the other way. Oh, he was just caught off guard. <laughs> Do you see it? So, I mean, really, because of political agendas, people are taking this information and they're spinning it because we're in an election year. And the threat is too big to go around doing that. Now, let's talk about the threat to our economy. So we had the stock market crash. What about the airlines? The airlines have taken the biggest hit since 9-11. They're estimating, let me see if I got it here. Oh, I would have swore I had it right there. Anyway, I had the number. Oh, here it is. They're estimating that based on what's happening right now with the airlines, it's going to wipe out $113 billion worldwide in the airline industry alone. So watch what happens in the airline industry. You go from travel requirements go down, law of supply and demand, right? Travel requirements go down. Go down. That's the first phase. Second phase, they start canceling flights. So now your supply has gone down. Your demand has gone down. Your supply has gone down. How do you react to that? You start cutting. So whatever expense you're cutting, fuel, snacks, now people start losing their livelihoods. People start losing their livelihoods. What happens to the unemployment rate that the low unemployment rate that we've been bragging about. Then what happens to the spending? It has a mushroom effect. That's just one industry. I mean, you got to realize, if they're losing, what did I say, $119 billion, where would they be spending that $119 billion that's not going into the economy? Disney shut down. Disney stands to lose billions of dollars, right? Shut down all their parks. What does that do to the tourism industry in those towns? What does it do to the restaurant industry in those towns? <laughs> what does it do exactly to the hotel industry? Did you realize that it's my understanding that Disney is the largest NGO, non-government organization, is the largest consumer of um, explosives in the world. So now that industry is being affected and impacted. So now everybody's having to cut. And where are they cutting? Livelihoods. What's happening to your unemployment rate? So now you've got a problem in the stock market. You've got a problem in major industries, big players. You've got a problem of unemployment. Now what are we looking at? Now, here's the good news, all right? So people say, well, the, gosh, this is worse than 2008 because the dip 
If it goes back to Black Monday of 1987, you understand that's a bigger dip than we had in 08, right? Here's the difference. The recession of 08 was caused by internal economic factors. Here's what I mean by that. There was a problem in the system itself. You remember Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? So people were being overextended in their uh, mortgages, which was creating too much debt. Unemployment was there. So you had you already had a low unemployment rate. You already had problems intrinsically within the system itself. So that the system caused the system to collapse. You get it? Fortunately, we are in a strong economy with a low unemployment rate. We've been on a bull market for I don't know how many years now in the stock market. Um, consumer spending and confidence has been up. And so there's all these really, really strong economic factors. So the difference is in 08, you're seeing a collapse that happens because of problems in the financial institution itself. Now you're seeing an economic problem that's happening because we're being impacted and affected by this virus that's spreading. So the point is that the economy probably can sustain this if it reaches its peak and dies out and we do the right things to sustain the economy. So all that to say the danger is very real, but there's probably no reason to panic. I'm giving you worst-case scenarios because I'm tired of hearing the glibness about it, right? But I'm also not trying to instill fear because the reason, a big reason why we may have secondary impacts that affect us like in the economy and that kind of stuff is because if we panic, <laughs> like toilet paper, for example. Josiah wanted, he said, can I talk on Sunday about the toilet paper apocalypse? <laughs> I thought it was funny. So if, so I think this is where I want to encourage you, if we take the right precautions, if we can stay calm, if we can cooperate with whatever we're being asked to do, right, then this thing will probably won't get anywhere near the where it has the potential to get. Right? So that's good news. <laughs> Our economy is strong. And for most of us, our immune systems are going to be strong enough to deal with it if we do catch it. Right? There's a lot of people that have only had symptoms for eight hours. There's a lot of people that had barely any symptoms at all. So for every, you know, case you're hearing about, and also be aware that this is gotten into our collective consciousness to the point that imagine if they were posting the death to the flu, the, the death numbers to the flu last year, and talking about it on every news story, and you would probably be seeing, oh my God, it's the flu, the same kind of panic, the same kind of, you get it?
Now I don't even know where to go with this. I think this is important, and this is where I want to kind of shift things. I, I think, what can we do to protect ourselves besides all the physical stuff? One of the things I think is really important for us to see is that we build such a illusion of ego and stability in our mind that we really do live inside of concepts that aren't real, that exist in mind alone. We plan for our future because we can't take into effect or into account <clears throat> future events that we can't foresee coming. <laughs> so we plan based on the present, and that's part of the reason that the future almost never fully materializes the way that we want it to because we can't see all the factors that come into play, right? So we end up building our lives oftentimes on things that are illusions, and every once in a while something comes along and strikes the foundation of it and reminds us that we're all human. <laughs> and so if there's a lesson for this, uh, in this for any of us, I think it is two things. The first thing I think is the power of unseen forces to shape our lives. What makes the virus, this virus or any virus so scary is the fact that we don't know where, where it is. You can't fight a virus that you don't know where it is. <laughs> That's why getting enough tests and testing was is, is crucial to getting out ahead of this thing. That's why I'm so disappointed that our government was not more prepared or better prepared to handle the situation once it got into the United States. Across the board. Now, I'm not being critical because trying to mobilize... Ten people is a challenge for me. Yes. Trying to mobilize ten people and get them to cooperate and get along and work together towards the same goal is a, is a job I have not yet mastered. So I'm not being critical. I'm just saying I'm also not running for public office. <laughs> so I'm aware of my limitations. <laughs> so I, I, would, I would think people that are more skilled than me, I would just would hope they would do better. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay, I need to get off that. Um, so, so, but do you see? So, it's an unseen force. It's an unseen force. It's something that we can't see that has that is dramatically impacting our lives. That is dramatically impacting the globe. That is dramatically impacting the human race. Right? How much more than? those other unseen factors that we believe in, the multiple dimensions, the spiritual dimensions, the help and the assistance that we have from God and from angels and and our own vibration, how much more then can those things right now be resources for us who are believers to undergird our lives so that we have a stronger foundation than maybe our neighbor's? So that we can have, like what Jesus talked about, a foundation, a house that's built on a solid foundation so that when the storm comes, our house stands. You can't see the foundation. So what is at the foundation of your life is the question. This is a time to begin to examine, have I been building my life on the imaginary self 
the self that I imagine myself to be and the self that I believe myself to be that is very attached to this body and very attached to things that are absolutely impermanent. One thing that Buddhism and Jesus have in common is they both taught the impermanence of all things, that everything will pass away. Every good thing will pass away and every bad thing will pass away. So we are going to survive the COVID-19 and be fine. We are going to survive a recession and come out of it like we've come out of every other recession. Uh, humanity has proven time and time and time again that in spite of our flaws, in spite of our evil inclinations, that we have the ability to come together in a crisis and to overcome. This one can be to our advantage because it's the information age, but it can be to our disadvantage because it's absolutely the misinformation age. (laughs) And the average person doesn't know the difference. Between what is real information and what is misinformation, right? But I do believe that we'll be fine. I believe we'll be fine as a nation. Now, by saying fine, that doesn't mean there won't be suffering. That doesn't mean there won't be people dying. That doesn't mean there won't be financial hardship. That doesn't mean you might have to jump in the shower after you use the bathroom because you don't have any toilet paper. (laughs) Or whatever. I absolutely, I bought, I bought the last package of meat at the grocery store I stop at, grocery store I shop at. So there are shortages already. And there's one case in Pueblo County. What's gonna happen if we get a hundred? We have to keep our heads. We have to keep our minds. Now here's the other thing. Fear has been scientifically proven to lower your immunity. I've heard estimates as high as 90%. I think that's probably overblown. I think what I hear oftentimes is 80% of most illnesses are stress-related. So stress makes you sick. Fear makes you sick. Fear weakens your immune system. (laughs) Right? And fear happens because you're stuck in that false self or you have... Uh, stuff attached to too much, too many things that are uh, impermanent. In other words, my affections are on earthly things. Does that make sense? On the flip side, it's been scientifically proven that gratitude and compassion raises your immune system, releases anti-aging chemicals, releases all kinds of properties that help your body fight off infection and disease. So by giving into the collective consciousness of fear and panic, we are making ourselves more vulnerable to sickness, even if it's not COVID-19. The other thing that I'm ashamed to say is I've heard too many stories about somebody's grandmother being knocked over at a grocery store because somebody's trying to reach for the last round of toilet paper. And here's what we do as human beings. Do you know sociologists tell us that the beginning of tribalism was disease? That you would come into contact with someone who wasn't in your family or wasn't in your tribe, and you'd get a sickness that you had not yet been exposed to. (laughs) And so therefore you would become afraid of the other out there. They're dangerous. Me and my clan, me and my family, we're okay. It's those out there that are the problem. 
one of the, one of the precursors to the Holocaust was the belief that the Jewish people were responsible for the plague because of their dietary laws and whatever. They weren't getting it. So we have to watch. There's already been, you know, videos that have been released of people attacking Asian people because they're blaming them for the coronavirus. There have been Asian people that uh, haven't been allowed to stay in hotels or eat at restaurants because people in their panic with the coronavirus. <laughs> Even our president called it a foreign, made a point of calling it a foreign disease. That kind of stuff breeds hate, it breeds fear, and it breeds selfishness, which lowers our immune system and lessens our chance of overcoming something. Because if this should show us the second thing, number one, there are unseen forces that are affecting us. The second thing is that we're all connected. (laughs) We are all connected. The world is connected. (laughs) Just economically. But we're talking about a virus that became a pandemic in an unprecedented amount of time. Because you can be in Asia one day, catch a plane, and 20 hours later, whatever, or you can be in Africa, 24 hours later, you can be anywhere in the world. We're all connected. I heard a story of, uh, old, there was a, a story of a elderly lady who was, this happened in Pueblo, putting her, opened her trunk and was trying to get her groceries into the trunk. Somebody drove by in a car, snatched her groceries out of her cart and took off. And the lady had spent what she had of her social security check to try to prepare and was sitting there crying. Right? That's the kind of stuff that fear and mass hysteria creates. <laughs> and panic. So I think we can be a confident people that we have divine support, <laughs> that we have, um, we can do things scientifically proven to raise our immune system if we can manage our state and not give in to the hysteria and panic and kind of group consciousness that's out there. And in that way we can be a light. What we don't want to have is false bravado, and here's what I mean. You know, people, well, I ain't getting sick because Jesus kills every disease germ and virus in my body. Um, there's a difference between being not in fear and being foolish. And wisdom and faith should always go together. So by all means, be in faith. <laughs> by all means, be confident. By all means, be optimistic. But don't let that turn into full-hearted foolishness. That is really selfishness that puts other people at risk. So be faithful, be wise, be compassionate, and let's, you know, this other attitude that it just, it hurts my heart. It shocks me and it hurts my heart when people say, well, I'm healthy, I'll be fine. Or even if I hear, well, it only kills you if you have an underlying health condition. Like, I get that makes me feel better, but it doesn't make me feel better for all the people that have underlying health conditions. And as a society, we should not 
take for granted the weak or take advantage of the weak, we should protect the weak. And so if you're taking measures that are inconvenient to you, just realize that you're doing it, you're somebody else's hero. (laughs) You are doing it to protect somebody whose body is weaker than yours. I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of people, I'm amazed at how strong people's spirits can be when they have bodily infirmities. So the weakness of your body is by no means a determination of the strength of your person. And no one should feel ashamed for getting sick and whatever. And that can happen too. There there might possibly be a mass public shaming for people who get sick because of the fear that I'm going to get it or someone that I love is going to get it. I've already seen it, you know, people shaming people for not using enough sanitizer or not washing their hands enough or whatever the case may be. You can be supportive without being shaming. One comes from compassion, the other comes from fear. Jesus said, Whatsoever you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So the true measure of our Christ consciousness is the degree to which we are willing to serve and protect those who are weaker than us. I guess that's all I got today. (laughs) I know I, I put some facts out there that are troubling, that are scary. It's not to put you in fear. It's to help you realize the potential. I want to say again, I don't think for one, I don't believe for one minute that it will get to the potential of what we were talking about today, much less surpass the potential of what we're talking about today, okay? But it is a very real, serious situation. So please don't let people, don't get sucked into the panic mob mentality, but by the same token, don't let people be so dismissive that you are not dealing in reality because you don't have the courage or the guts or the common sense to face the reality. So as long as we stay out of fear and we stay in compassion, we should all be fine. God bless you. Have a great have a great day. <laughs> I'll stick around if anybody has questions or whatever.